Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Before we, uh, Luke chapter 15, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. I'll get there in a minute. Uh, I do want to tell you this. I think part of what's going on in the church today, we've had a problem with transparency. And so in that vein, I want to be transparent with you. I want you to know some things that are going on here and things that I'm not particularly proud of, things that I've just become aware of. Uh, I was talking to my wife yesterday. Uh, These things are hard for me. My wife has never watched The Princess Bride. I know, you know, like this stuff is hard for me to, to tell you people. It is. And so, and so yesterday, uh, this stuff's hard for me. Yesterday, I found this out. And so one of, our, one of our things at our house, man, we love, Saturday morning, man, we just, we don't set an alarm. And so we don't get up till almost six. And then we just, you know, <laughs> and so we made coffee and we're sitting around the house. And, and I was like, you've never seen it? What? And so there's a, there's a classic line for in the movie, and it comes out of this word, right? Thank you, Rick. Inconceivable. <laughs> and the dude, just the short dude, he just keeps saying this. And, and finally, the, the, the guy who plays uh, Inigo Montoya, the Spaniard, he's like, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, you know? <laughs> and so there are actually a lot of words where that's the case now. They don't mean what, what we think they mean, like, just like inconceivable in this movie, right? Here's another one that I get a kick out of today, literally, literally. Like, people will say this. They say this. I've heard people say this. Oh, my head, like, literally blew up. It didn't. And I was like, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, you know? Right? Here's another one for us. Now pay attention. This is one for us. I do not think that means what you think it means. This word has come to mean a ton of things. Now listen, I just want to be very clear about this, everybody. I'm not ashamed to call myself a Christian. I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. But I don't know what that word exactly means anymore. You can start a whole, we know this, you can start a whole political movement around that word. Right? I'm not sure what that word means anymore. It's very interesting in the early church, if you go to the book of Acts, which tells the history of the church, and by the time you get to chapter 11, for the first time now they're being called Christians. But the word before that was disciples. The disciples. In fact, if you just finger through the early part of the book, it says this. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests, which is always interesting, even the larger the priests became obedient to the faith. And if you look at the apostle Paul, because we know of his conversion because of the book of Acts, it says when Paul came to Jerusalem, Paul tried to join the disciples, but here's the deal. The disciples were all afraid of him because they didn't know that he was really a disciple. The word disciple is terrifying. Now get this, a disciple is one who learns from, who studies, now get ready for this, who thinks like and then begins to emulate the one they're being discipled by. The disciples hung out with Jesus, they did life with Jesus, they studied Jesus, they learned from Jesus, and then they emulated Jesus. They emulated Jesus. My question is this, of all the people now that say they're Christian, I don't know, does that mean you're an American? Do you know that there are people who live in other parts of the world who don't want to become Christians because they see of all the stuff that goes on in America? 
and they just go, well, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? If we're gonna really be Christians, if we're gonna call ourselves that, if we're gonna be disciples, followers of Jesus, it means we actually emulate Christ. Okay, if we're gonna emulate Christ, we should know what Christ looked like. And I've used this before because it's my favorite uh, uh, description of Jesus, and I love this. When you go to John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? John was the closest of, of all the disciples to Jesus, the closest one, and now John writes a Gospel. This is how John describes him. I've told you this before. The word, that means Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. It's the Greek word logos. It means the essence of God, the essence. And he says, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen Jesus glory the glory of the one and only son that's Jesus who came now here's the description here's Jesus full of grace and truth don't skip over that he's full of both he's not the balance uh, this time I'm grace and this time I'm truth he's the balance of both now I want to just give you because I'm very visual and I know a lot of people are visual and so here's how I think of this this is truth we're gonna need to clean up on aisle six this is truth right here Right? And so you got truth, truth, truth. The man, or this is, you know, this is, this is what truth is. I'm, I'm telling you truth. You just need to listen to me. Oh, you guys are wrong because I'm going to just blast you and I'm going to tell you what's true. True, 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 true. And we just declare truth. And there's nothing wrong with truth. But then sometimes we err on the other side. And we say, oh, grace, brother, grace, grace for everybody. Don't, there's no, you know, we, we don't need to really focus on the truth. But let's just talk about grace. Let's just be forgiving. Let's be good to everybody. More grace, more grace. I don't care what they're doing. I mean, God is love. Let's just have, let's just have more grace, more grace. Let's just, and there's no truth. It's the absence of any real truth. And we tend to have these two. And this is the world that we live in. And we go either, oh, truth, 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 truth. You're wrong. You guys are doing it wrong. This is wrong. This is the rule. This is how the rules are and we either tend to be on this end or we go it's all about grace and God is love and everything's good the scripture says Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth so this is Jesus right we got both ends Jesus is the fullness of both this is Jesus you understand me Jesus is not yellow Jesus is not blue, and if I did this right and mix my colors right, right? Jesus is green. This is a whole different thing. This is a whole different look. You understand what I'm saying? This is grace. This is truth. This is actually Jesus. Fullness of both. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see it. I'm, you're going to see it. We're going to walk through it. I'm telling you, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to be more than just cultural Christians, then we learn from, we study, and we begin to emulate, we look like, we reflect Jesus. Yes? Luke chapter 15, when you get in your Bibles, go ahead and stand up for me. If you're newer to this church, just know this. Whenever we read our primary text, it's this thing that some people go, oh, we're doing it, we're standing up again, you know. We stand just to physically remind us every week, this is not a book written by some good fellas. This is God speaking to us in 2022 today. I believe this with all my heart. God has a word for me today. God has a word for everybody in the building today. God has a word for you if you are online today, and it's from his word. So let's look at this. Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth, that you are the God of truth. Jesus said, you said you were truth. And so God, thank you for the truth that's in this word, the life that's in this, and now Holy Spirit, 
We need you to teach us, to show us. How do we look more like Jesus? How do we emulate Jesus when we walk out of here? How do we reflect Jesus? Holy Spirit, speak that to us today. We're asking you, we're begging you. Spirit, you teach today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. You guys can have a seat. So I want to walk you through this. Now, just so you know this, if you were going to take in your Bible to chapter 15, you can just write big letters over the top. I'd write this in my Bible. Lost. This is all about lost stuff. This is about the lost. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, I want to walk you through this. Let me skip through this slide. Yes, let me get to the next one. Okay. Now, look at this. Look at chapter 1, because this this stuff is so interesting to me, and and I'm very visual, so when I read this, I I put myself in it. Like, I I see the scene, you know? And so so tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. Now, you just got to get a load of this. Tax collectors were the most evil, corrupt, multi-level marketing system you've ever been aware of. And so here's how it works. If you're a tax collector, you would go to Rome, you would bid, you would get a region. You say, I want this region. And they say, right on, that's your region. Here's what we got to have from you. They don't care what you charge folks. They don't care what kind of surcharges you put on folks. And so you're, the, you're over the region. And now you get this tax collector and this tax collector and this. And they just start going out and they start collecting taxes. And nobody cares how much you're charging people. Right? As long as Rome gets their tax. Rome's got to get what Rome's got to get. That's all they care about. And so as long as they're getting theirs, they don't care. You can treat people however you want. You can charge whatever you want. And so they all do. So all the Jews hate tax collectors. Why? Because tax collectors are Jews who are extorting other Jews on behalf of Rome. You see the dynamic there? And so they all hate them. Everybody hates tax collectors. Now watch how this says this, because I think this is funny. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. In other words, the notorious sinners hate tax collectors so much, they don't want to be lumped in. They want their own name. Oh, we're just the notorious sinners. We ain't no tax collectors. That's how they feel about them. They want to be separated. And so you have tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And look at this word. They often came to listen to Jesus. Now watch this. People who are nothing like Jesus, get this, people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. People who are nothing like Jesus actually like Jesus. Just church, just swallow that for a minute. People who are nothing like him, like him, and it says they come often. Okay, that's what you're going on here. Now look at your Bibles, look at verse 2, it says this. This, what is this? This, this situation, this situation, the fact that these tax collectors and the other notorious sinners often come and surround Jesus and they're with him. That, that's what he's talking about. This, this what? Well, this makes the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and he was even eating with them. Now, think about this. In first century Roman culture, in that, in that, in that, in Palestine, in that area, when you eat with someone, you are breaking bread with someone. That is fellowship. You're saying, we're good with each other. That's kind of what you're saying. And Jesus regularly eats with them. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, which the religious law is the Old Testament, basically, right? They don't like it. So here's what you have. So you just got to know this right from the start so that it sets this up right. Over here, you have the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. Okay. Over here, you got the, 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 the teachers of the, of, the, of the Jewish law and you got the Pharisees right? You got the people here who want to scream truth. They scream truth. And over here, you got the people who definitely need some grace. You understand? Okay. They don't like it that Jesus is with them. 
So Jesus is going to tell this story. Okay, why? Because the reason Jesus is telling this story is because you got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law over here. There's a definite division, and you got the, 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 the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners. There's a rift in the room right now. Like, you feel this tension. You feel it. And so because Jesus is all aware, he's going to tell them this particular story. That's why he's telling this story, because he sees such a divide of this and this, and Jesus wants to step into it. Got it? Then it says this. Here's the story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets, uh, gets lost, what will he do? He's going to talk about something that everybody knows about. Everybody knows about sheep. I mean, like we're all familiar with sheep in that culture. They all would have gotten it. And they know how the whole shepherd works. And, and Jesus is going to talk to them in their language, in their culture. And he says this. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Well, everybody, everybody in the room knows. They already know what he'll do. We don't because we're not around sheep that often, right? We're not around shepherds for sure. We don't get the sheep-shepherd culture. But he's telling that story. And he says, what will he do? Well, he says, well, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? Now, that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to us because we don't live in that kind of culture. But know this, that Jesus asks it in a manner that says, this is a rhetorical question. You're all going to agree with me. Everybody would know the answer. Everybody would know. If shepherd are out, just know this. If shepherd are out, they don't shepherd alone. Usually there's a group of shepherds. And so they're going to have a sh the sheep in this, in this area. And you know who goes and gets the lost one? Get ready for this. The good shepherd. The really good shepherd. That's the one who goes and gets the lost sheep. The good shepherd does that. Anybody? That, that's what the good shepherd does. He's going to go get the lost one. Also, just know this, culturally, like the, the logistics of the way it would work out is you'd have sheep in kind of an area where you, you kind of got in a holding area. They'd be penned up. Even if you're out in the wilderness, you, you've kind of just driven them into some area where they're not going to all wander. And he just says, won't he? Won't he leave him? And everybody in the room right now is like this. So here's the notorious sinners and the tax collectors, and they're going, yes, that is what he would do. That's exactly what he would do. And over here, you have the Pharisees and the teachers of law, and they're like, yes, that is exactly what they do. Yes, he would leave it and go get the 99. And he says, and when he brings it back, isn't he just thrilled? Like he found it and he's just thrilled, isn't he? He's thrilled because he found the lost sheep. The sheep was lost. It was separated. Okay, we're all together. Now here's the shepherd, but the sheep wanders off and they're completely separated. Now they're back together because he found what was lost. And he's saying this, wouldn't he just be excited and thrilled when he finds it? And so now what does the shepherd do? It says when he arrives back and he's got that sheep, won't he call together his friends and neighbors saying, we got to rejoice. I have found done this, that which was lost. We're back together. That's what he's saying happened. Then he goes on and he says this. Or, so he sees some woman in the crowd and he goes, oh, uh, let's, just say, let's just say a woman and she's got 10 silver coins and she loses one, right? Well, she's going to lose one. And, she, and then Jesus goes on to say, wouldn't she just drop everything? Wouldn't she drop everything? And she's going crazy and she's going to pull all the cushions out of the sofa and she's going to lift up furniture. And wouldn't she do that? And she'd look at every room and every woman in the room is going, yes, that is what I would do. I would, I would pull every cushion. And the husbands are always over there going, that is what she does. She comes and gets me at work. And yes, she drags me back to the house. And he's like, and when she gets it back, isn't she thrilled? Isn't she excited? All the, all the tax collectors going, yes, she would be very excited. My wife would be very excited. And all the Pharisees and the, these guys, like the, 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 the teachers of the law, yes, that is exactly, yes, she would be really excited. Everybody is shaking their head in agreement. Now, here's what's really weird. I think, 
I think these guys are going, yes, that is it. Oh, they're shaking their head in the same direction. Like, this is weird. We're actually agreeing on something. Like, these guys can't agree on anything. These guys don't get along with anything. Jesus has the whole crowd agreeing. All the women, yes, that is what I would do. All the notorious sinners and the tax collector, yes. All, all the Pharisees, everybody is starting to agree, and everybody's a little weird with it. Like, we don't agree on anything. We don't, we don't agree on anything. And then Jesus has got to go a step further to illustrate the point even more so, because he's not done. Jesus is going to tell them this story. And you've all heard this story, right? It's about a man who had two sons. Now, we, we mistakenly always call it the prodigal son. The Bible doesn't call it that. It's about a man who has two sons. Don't forget that, because we'll come back to that. It's about a man who has two sons. Now, get this. Culturally, this is what the youngest son does. He comes and he asks his dad for his inheritance. But you have to understand it culturally, because here's what he's really saying. The kid comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I really wish you were dead, because I could have all your stuff. But since you're not dead, could you do this? Could you just, this is what he's saying. Could you just sell it off? and then give me mine. Could we just do that? Now watch this. Everybody in the crowd, this crowd over here is going, that's a terrible son. That's, a, that's the worst kid I've ever heard of. I don't, I don't like it. All of these guys, because this is now a cultural thing, what a disrespectful son. I can't stand this kid. I want that, right? Everybody's agreeing again. Jesus is telling this story. And so the son wanders off. His dad does just that. His dad sells a bunch of stuff, gets all his money. The dad now uh, gives his son his money. The son wanders off, and he is into some loose living. Man, this kid is going crazy. He's doing some horrific things, just hideous things that everyone would be ashamed of. And all of a sudden, when things, he's starting to run out of money. This kid is now running out of money. And as he runs out of money, he's starting to say to himself, oh, I'm in trouble here. I'm in trouble. I maybe better get a job. Well, just as he starts to do that, it says a famine comes over the land. He's already lost everything. He's spent everything on wild living, and now there's a famine coming over the land. So the kid's really in trouble. So what does he do? He gets a job. Well, he probably loses that job, and he gets another job. He might lose that job, and he gets a job. Finally, the only job that Jewish boy can get is a job feeding pigs. You do know this, that Jews and pigs know we don't eat pigs. We don't touch pigs. They are known as an unclean animal, right? It's the only job he can now get. He's feeding pigs. Things get so bad for him that he's starting to desire the food that the pigs are eating. Now watch this. This group, right? These are the tax collectors, and they're the notorious sinners, and they're like, good, this is Jesus. You tell great stories. I really like this story. This is awesome. That's exactly what should happen to that kid. This is a happy ending. Like, we're all going to hug. And this group over here is saying, oh, that's good. They're shaking their heads again. That's good. We want this kid to get his. That's exactly what he deserves. I'm glad. Let him just, I'm, that's the end of the story. That's got to be the end of the story. But it says this that the kid finally comes to his senses. And now he says to himself, he's going to rehearse his speech. He's rehearsing it in his head. He says, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, and I'm dying of hunger. So what's his plan? He says, I'll go home. And here's the speech. I'm going to say this to my father. Father, I have sinned. Note, just everybody writes down. Notice what the kid says, I have sinned. He didn't say I've made a mistake. We're not mistakers. We're sinners. Understand the difference? He says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me in as a hired servant. 
Like he's got this thing rehearsed in his head, right? And so he returns home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now, this group and this group are both saying the same thing. And they're like, well, we wanted the story to end. We wanted the kid to die there just wanting food that pigs would eat. So that's what's going to be a happy ending. We weren't thrilled that the story continued. But you know what? Now we're, we're happy that it kept going. Because we see what you're doing, Jesus. We see now the kid's really going to get blasted. His father's really going to, yes, this is going to be an awesome story. Yes, yes, yes. They're shaking their head. Yes, yes, yes. They're shaking their head. Everybody's in agreement again. It's a little spooky, right? He returns home. There's his father. His father sees him coming. So now it speaks of the father. And it says the father is filled with anger, Jesus. Anger. Righteous indignation. Yes, yes, yes. We think there's righteous indignation. Yes, yes, yes. There should be angry. The father has got to be ticked. The father is filled with. No, Jesus. Bad story. Bad story. Couldn't he die wanting pig's food? Yes, we're with them. Let's hug later, but we're agreeing with them. Couldn't he die there wanting pig's food? Couldn't we? The father, love, full of love and compassion, he runs to his son. The father embarrasses himself in, in this culture, ancient Near Eastern culture. The father hikes his tunic up and runs. It's degrading. He actually does this, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, and he says this. He says, the father said to the servants, quick, notice this, quick, hurry up, hurry up. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on my son and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. This is the declaration. This is my son. He's declaring it. You put a ring on him, it signifies he's my son. You put a robe on him, signifying this is my son. Forget it, everybody, forget it. This is Jesus talking about this. This is Jesus. Now, he's, he's demonstrating this. They all wanted him to demonstrate this. Jesus is still demonstrating this. I know, I know, I know. He's, that's it. He came back, he declared that he was a sinner. Not only did he want to do that, he says this, and kill the calf, the fattened calf that we've been fattening. We have to celebrate. We must celebrate with a feast. You would take a calf. You have a bunch of cows. One of them has a calf. You take that calf. You put it in a pen. You just fence it up by itself, and you start feeding that calf, feeding that calf, feeding that calf, and it's getting big and fat, and you have a specific event in mind. We're going to have a wedding. We're going to have a high school graduation open house. My kid is graduating from college. we got to have a fattened calf. We've just had our first uh, grandchild. we got to have a fattened calf. The father's excited. We're going to kill the fat calf. Whatever we were going to use it for, my son is back, right? No, it's going on. Like, this is going to continue. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son, the older son was in the fields working. Raise your hand if you're an oldest child. A lot of oldest kids here. You know why he was in the fields working? Because he's an oldest child. So birth order is really interesting to me. Birth order breaks off after roughly three to four years. You know that. That if you have kids that are more than three, than three or four years apart, birth order doesn't play out. So at, at our home growing up, my sister is the oldest, my brother is 16 months younger, and I'm 11 months after my brother. And so because of that, we are textbook birth order. I mean, we fit all the generalizations, exactly. My sister is the oldest child. Oldest children do what they should. They do, as a gen, this is generalizations. They do what they're supposed to do. They do things the right way. They follow the rules. That tends to be oldest kids. My sister went to a special school for gifted and talented kids, and my brother's like, 
I, I don't even know what that means. I don't like, we're so stupid. Like, yeah, my sister goes to a special school, right? Like, that, that's just oldest kids. You, know, you get to the middle kids, and sometimes when, when birth order is real exact, middle kids are like, I'm not sure where I fit in. I'm not sure where I fit in. And youngest kids are like, woo-hoo, let's do it. Like, that's just classic birth order. So the oldest son, he's out in the field. That's where oldest kids are supposed to be. The oldest son is out working, right? Well, it says when he returned home, the oldest son, he hears music and he hears dancing. How crazy must they be dancing if you can hear it? I always wonder that, right? But he hears music and he hears dancing in the house and he asks one of the servants, like, what's going on? What's going on? And he says, oh, you didn't hear about it? Yeah, your brother came back. My brother came back? Yeah, you know, the crazy one, the one that I got, told your daddy wished he was dead and then spent all the money. He came back. And your dad's celebrating. Your dad's like, kill the fattened calf. Let's just do this. Like, let's have a party. Let's just celebrate. Your dad put a robe on him. Your dad put a ring on him. Your dad is just celebrating. This is just the greatest thing, right? And so the older brother was, I remember the dad, full of love and compassion. Oh, the older brother's angry. He ain't going in. He's not going to the party. You ever meet somebody who's angry? You ever meet an angry Christian? You ever meet angry Christians? You ever meet angry church folks? You ever met an angry pastor? You ever met those Christians and pastors who, who just, they believe in hell because they can't wait for somebody to go there? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Angry Christians, you know what I'm talking about? They just love shaking their fingers at people. Oh yeah, brother. I don't know if you know this, but you know what I'm talking about? You know these people? Listen, man, I, I just want to touch on this for a second. I, I don't have any big plans to this. I, I, hope, I hope, church, I hope we're wide awake while this Roe v. Wade thing is going on. Now listen to me. I celebrate. I celebrate the reversal of the decision. I'm celebrating it. I'm for human life, whether it's born or unborn. But I would tell you this, church. Hey, we can all clap. Can I, can I talk to you about this for a minute? Can I talk to you about this for a minute? Right? What are we going to do about it? If you seriously think that the, the legislation is going to end abortion, you're out of your ever-loving mind. That ain't going to end abortion. You know, the church has a golden opportunity to step into this. Pastor Nick was telling me this morning, Pastor Francis Chan, if you know him, Pastor Francis Chan said this statement one time. If every other church in America would adopt one child, no problems. Like, are we going to adopt kids now? Are we going to help these women out? Are we going to up our game a little? Are we going to become surrogate aunts and uncles? Are we going to babysit so maybe some, some, some moms can finish school? I'm just saying, man, I'm all for truth. I'm all for truth. But this situation is going to take some grace. That's why I love to stare at this one once in a while. Because I need to be reminded of this. This older brother, he is hopping mad. He's angry. And so he wouldn't go in. He wouldn't go into the party. So now his father comes out and begs him. Now get a load of this. The younger son embarrassed his dad by the way he lived. The older son is now embarrassing his dad because his dad's got to come out of the party. This is embarrassing to the father. And the father is now begging the son. He's begging his son, come back in, come back in, come back in, come and celebrate your brother. And here's the response of the older brother. He says, all these years I've slaved for you, and I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. 
And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. You want to know why you get angry sometimes? You want to know why I get angry? Number one, because I'm doing it the right way. I'm doing it the right way. Listen, if you don't believe me, are you like me? You know why I get angry when I drive? Because that dude's an idiot, because I know how to drive. <laughs> I'm definitely an excellent driver. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, like we, we think that. That's why we get so angry, because we're doing it right. You know the other reason why we get angry? is because we're afraid that they're going to get something that we deserve. Like we're worried about that. Oh, they're going to get that. that. That belongs to me. I'm the one who, I've earned that. We act like we've earned everything as if God owes us something. And honestly, this is what we think we're doing. Right? And Jesus is like, well, back up. Back up. Just back up for a minute. Right? And then he says this, the, the older brother, and yet still, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the, fraud, the fattened calf. Dad, I don't know if you know how he was living. He was with prostitutes. We don't have to tell mom, but he was with prostitutes, Dad. We can keep that quiet. But that's what he was doing. And still, you kill the fattened calf. This kid is angry because the younger son isn't following the rules. They're not doing it right. And his dad now speaks up and the dad said, listen to me, listen to me. Dear son, you have always stayed, here we go, you were always here. You were always by me. You, 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 you've always been here. Like, this is, this is what they so desperately wanted when they lost the coin and lost the sheep. They wanted this again. Remember, remember if, if you've read the, the first part of that chapter, it says this, that, man, when, when he brought that sheep back, like they just rejoice. They rejoice. They rejoice. Why? Because what was lost is now back here. Like it's this again. Right? He says, you've always been, are you ready for this? Get ready for this. He says, you've always stayed by me. And because you've always stayed by me, as a result of you always staying with me, he says, everything I have is yours. It's already yours. Why are we worried that somebody's going to get what belongs to us? See, when we walk here, when we do this, when we're by him, when we're with him, when we're near him, everything he has belongs to you. This isn't the big so up, but can I just tell you something? Can I just... That's the reward of the Christian life. It's the relationship. It's being in relationship. See, this is real discipleship. Real disciple, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'm not even sure anymore. Real discipleship means this, we're here. We're with him. And as a result of being with him, man, everything is ours. Everything is ours. Everything is ours when we walk with him. When we're with him, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is it, we're with him. Here's your big so what. Genuine discipleship means a genuine relationship. I don't know anymore what it means to be a Christian. I really don't. I know what discipleship is. Man, it means we're here. It means we're walking with him. It means we're spending time with him daily. You can't be friends with somebody that you, it's not like a guy relationship. This is what we do as guys, because I'm, I'm the champion of this. We don't see somebody for 10 years and we run into them and we're like, hey, and everything is back. That's not a real relationship. Like to be a disciple means you walk in relationship. It's a walk. The Bible always describes it as a walk. It's a continual journey. This is how we do real discipleship, right? And then the father says this, 
We had to celebrate this happy day. See, your brother was dead. This is where your brother was. And he's come back. He was lost. And see, now he's found. Remember this? Jesus told this to a group of people who were on such far sides of the aisle. They were so far apart. That's specifically why he's telling them that. Disciples of Jesus, man, I know there's, hey, there's this. And the culture always wants to throw this in, their, in our face. And the culture is kind of right. God is love. God is love. But he's not just love. And sometimes in the church, and especially if you've been around the church a long time, like you've been, you grew up in the church like I did, we tend to get a little bit like this. We become the angry Christians who love to shout rules at people. Can I just tell you, shouting the rules at people, uh, I don't know if you know this, that's actually not attractive. It's actually not. You got to trust me on this. Nobody wants to come to know Jesus because we shout rules. And so here's what Jesus does. It's so unique. It's so unique. It's the coolest thing about being a follower of Jesus. It's just so unique. Yes, there's truth. Yes, there's grace. Jesus went like this. This is what it means to be a disciple. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not ashamed to call myself a Christian, but I don't really know what that means. I think it doesn't mean what you think it means. But I know I want to be a disciple. I know I want to walk in relationship with Jesus. I know I want to follow after Jesus. I know I want to make allowance when people mess up. And I want to continually welcome them to the church. Welcome. We love you. We love you with arms open wide. We love you. Come in. Come in. Can I tell you this? It's been one of the most satisfying things that I've watched in this church over the last six years in this, in this position. Is Our church is just continuing to morph, continuing to morph, continuing to morph, more accepting, more welcoming bring people in, bring people in, just love people, bring people in. There's truth, there's truth. Nobody's denying that there's truth, there's truth. But if truth is always your headline, it's just not attractive. There's a reason that those people often came to hear Jesus speak. There's a reason that people who are nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus, right? This is real discipleship. This is real discipleship. It's being in relationship. It's walking with Jesus. And so what's the big now what? Well, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where your relationship with Christ is. I mean, I, I, I like to give you suggestions. Do this, think this, right? I like to do that. But I, see, I don't know where you're at. Maybe, maybe this would mean, you know what? I'm in a fellowship with the saints regularly. Maybe that's your next step. Okay. Make that your next step. Maybe you say, you know what, I go to church regularly, but I don't really have any relationships. I don't have relationships with other Christians who can speak in my life. Okay, you need to join a life group. That's, that's your next step. Like, what will further you in that? We say this all the time. What's our mission here? Leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. We want you, we want me to continue to move along into discipleship. Maybe, maybe you say, well, I go to church, I'm part of a life group. I don't serve in any way. Okay. You need to find a place to serve. That's what followers of Jesus do. They actually serve. That's a, that's a high value at this church because we think that's a high biblical value, right? Maybe say I already do those things, but man, I, I never open up my pocketbook. I'm not obedient with my cash. Okay, 
Maybe that's, maybe that's actually your next step of discipleship. You say, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to follow biblically with my, with my income. Okay, do that. Do that. See, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you need to pick up your Bible and you need to read it. See, disciples are like this. In relationship. This is how we, this is how we live. We walk with Jesus. We, we study him. We learn from him. We begin to emulate him. And I, can I just tell you this? Man, in 2022, nothing will look more peculiar or more odd, and I mean this in a good way, than people who are following Jesus. The culture has to see that today. Genuine discipleship. The culture has to see it and just go, what the? That's different. Like, we should just look so different today. Truth, grace, like that. Right? So, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you this morning? Sometimes you sit there and you go, oh, this is what I need to do to further my relationship. This is what I need to do to become more of a disciple. I, I don't know what it is for you. I always am aware of what my, well, not always, we, we have blind spots, but, but I'm aware of a lot of my issues. This is what I have to do to be more of a disciple. What, what is he saying to you this morning? Like, what is, he, what is he saying to you? Bow your heads with me. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We ask you to show up, and I believe that you were here this morning, and you spoke. You spoke to us. And so, Father, right now, in just this moment of silence, would you speak? Would you show each of us? Reveal. Holy Spirit, that's what you do. Reveal to us. What's the next step? You speak, Spirit. What's the next step in your discipleship? Some of you are watching online and you need to celebrate with the believers. Maybe you need to show up here. That'd be awesome. We'd love that. Some of you are in the room and you go, eh, it's not, a, it's not a priority for me. Maybe I need to make that a priority. Maybe that'd be my next step. Maybe it's getting in a life group. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's, it's being faithful with my financial resources. Whatever it is, you know what those issues are. What would it be? With your head still bowed, I know this. Some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You're here, you're watching online. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Okay, that's the first step. That's the very first step, right? And we're all about that. Let me just tell you, we're all about that. We always will be. And so I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. You could pray it silently, but if you say, you know, I've never... I've never really made that commitment to follow Christ. You would pray this prayer silently. Just pray along with me as I pray. God in heaven, I acknowledge who you are. You are God. You're the almighty creator. You're the everlasting God. You're the perfect one. You're the holy one, and I acknowledge that. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I have sinned. I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. I've sinned, and I confess that today. I confess all my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me right with you. Thank you, God, that you do that. And now, God, today I surrender my life. I commit my life. I'm surrendering to what you want for the rest of my life. God, it's a big step, but I mean business. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven me. Thank you, God, that I know you will help me 
Thank you. Thank you.